0: Nice, and you're listening to Bridging the Gap. This is the podcast where we talk to blind and visually impaired music creators and producers. This podcast is for everyone, whether you're part of the visually impaired and blind community, or you're simply curious about how visually impaired and blind music and sound creatives are using technology. This podcast is also available with closed captions on YouTube. Today's theme is the music industry, and we're joined by Jason DeSant, Kevin Kern, and Joey Stuckey. Thanks all for joining me. I was hoping that each of you would introduce yourselves. Kevin Kern, can we start with you please?
1: I'm Kevin Kern. I am a new age pianist, composer, recording artist. My visual situation is I am legally blind as it's called in the United States, uh, which I like to say means I can see a little bit of everything and never all of anything. Uh, I can see color, form, movement but not in depth with restricted visual fields it's like uh, for people who are visual imagine a scene shot with gauze over the camera lens so that everything is shot fuzzy and out of focus
0: that sounds a lot like my blind eye actually when i describe it i describe it as if you close your eye and then can open it up just the tiniest amount that's the visual amount that it looks like Joey Stuckey, you're also joining us today. Thanks so much.
2: I want to say first, I'm a big fan of Kevin. I had no idea that you were part of the blind community, but I have been listening to your music since I was a teenager. I am a big fan, sir. And uh, I've seen a lot of presentations that Jason has done. and been a big fan of that as well. But uh, yeah, you know, so my blindness is the most tangible thing that you can detect about my condition. What happened to me was as a, a very young child, I had a brain tumor. And uh, the brain tumor was uh, took a while to diagnose. And unfortunately, by the time they kind of figured that out, that it sort of crushed a lot of the wiring in the inside of the old brain. Uh, and that includes the octagon. So from the outside, my eyes are fairly normal. But I am totally blind with just a little light perception in my left eye in a very small quadrant of the left eye. So it's just a little sliver. Uh, so if I was to go outside and look straight up, I can tell the difference between noon and midnight, and that's it. So really I can't see anything and uh, no, no shapes or even. And so, uh, but the brain tumor left me with a host of health uh, challenges that I combat every day. have at a very young age, I have a total hip replacement and a total shoulder replacement. Not as much fun as I had hoped, but my music, I was a very sick child for a long, long time. I had a year where I had to spend about four months at home, going to school from home and stuff like that when I had a really bad case of pneumonia and I discovered a classic, radio programming. And that made me realize that a blind man was the perfect person to help create sound. So my initial sort of entree into recording was the idea that I would record sound effects for film or television. And I got my first job at 15 working as a sound technician for a a local planetarium. And from that, a lot of the people that worked there had garage bands. They said, can we record a demo at, at your home? Sure. And from that, by the time I was 19, I had a, a professional studio in downtown of my, or city center uh, of my uh, hometown here in Macon, Georgia. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. And then my artistry as a musician came from that same experience. When I had a bit of an encyclopedia, you know, knowledge of music. And um, one day a band came in to record a demo. And, you know, I said, gosh, that's a, that's a great song. And I don't know it, which is surprising to me. I know, you know a lot of music. Who wrote that? They said, we did. And then bam, like I had the proverbial light bulb moment where I thought, I've got a story to tell, I've got things I want to share, and music is the vehicle through which I'm going to do that.
0: Well, thank you for joining us today, Joey. Jason Descent, thank you for being here. Would you be able to introduce yourself to all of the great listeners out there?
3: I'm Jay, and actually, I'm from Trinidad in the Caribbean. I currently live with my wife here in the UK now, where I'm doing a PhD. I'm a music producer at heart, so I've been working for many years in the industry in everything from production of recording artists to work in the advertising industry. I also do a lot of work in film, pretty much everything, in audio, everything audio and a bit of video as well. I'm also an audio engineer, so I do recording, mixing and mastering. I also do a lot of live performing as well and I'm an accessibility consultant. You know, that's um, in that role, I work with different manufacturers of music technology to make their equipment accessible with screen readers. So like, you know, making audio interfaces and keyboards and software accessible. So that's myself, along with other visually impaired music producers and engineers can work independently. So I was born blind. Um, I had a condition called dermoid cysts. I had two cornea transplants when I was a baby and um, they worked for a while, for a few years, but the technology was in its infancy at that time. So, you know, um, I rejected the cornea transplants. So I'm actually totally blind now.
0: We're here today to talk about the music industry. First of all, Kevin, I'm wondering if you have a meaning for the music industry. Like what does the music industry mean to you?
1: For me? The music industry means the recording industry. The recording industry has so changed. You know, when we were all coming up, you had to get a record deal and your song had to get on the radio. And that's what meant making it or not. Nowadays, the world is completely different because there are so many, so many paths to getting your music out there and being appreciated?
3: So as I kind of said in my intro, you know, I've worked with artists, you know, produce albums for them and EPs and singles. You know, I'm also quite passionate about advertising. You know, I love advertising work because I'm also heavily into marketing as well, besides music, you know, I do a lot of work in marketing. So um, I got excited about the film industry a number of years ago. You know, I always felt to myself, okay, I have to, work in the film industry with the same efficiency as cited users oh yeah and one thing I wanted to mention also is the live music industry you know I love performing live you know with um, different bands and you know I love um, stage work
2: I tend to think of the music industry as a very broad umbrella so I would include in that you know things that maybe would be peripheral but for example music supervision which is the people that uh, place music in film and television, they, they find the right music for the right scenes or the, for the visuals. That's part of it. Mu- I also think music education is part of the music industry. So, um, you know, educating the next generation of creatives is a big part of it, too. So and then, of course, you've got publishing and you've got. So I've, I've done just about everything, you know, at some point. I work with a lot of publishers, of consulting on music business, law, marketing, all these different things. Then, of course, there's musical theatre and I've directed a couple of plays. And so, you know, it it is a huge industry and there are paths that you may not even ever have thought of before that you could participate in. So it is just a a broad umbrella.
3: So my start in the music industry, basically, you know, I was about nine or 10 years old and in school, you know, I had had a friend with a Casio keyboard. And, you know, I would pick it up from time to time and, you know, hit a few notes and realized it's actually something like music and not noise, right? So I kind of went with it. And then, you know, um, on a, a vacation, my family took, you know, my mom and dad bought me a keyboard. And I started, you know, having fun with it. And I really liked it a lot. And it, it just kind of grew, you know, around the same time my brother was quite techy, my brother, Dean. And, you know, we would... Look at um, shows and go to performances, and and you know we got in. I was intrigued by synthesizers and drum machines, and you know one thing kind of led to the to the other. And and this was before the days of accessibility, so we would actually you know my brother would teach me like okay to go to this page on a keyboard of parameters. You're going to press the right arrow five times. You're going to press page up three times, etc. And this is how it worked. And You know, then, you know, as I started to develop more and more, I started to, you know, get into, okay, how can one person sound like a full band? So this is when I got into like um, things like sequencing and programming. And again, one thing led to another. And then, you know, as I started to get better at it, I started being noticed by different recording studio owners, you know, in my country, Trinidad. And before long, I was doing jingles and then recorded artists. Recording artists started contacting me and again, you know, everything just kind of grew from strength to strength and I wanted to give you, um, so eventually it led to me having my own recording studio. By that time I had developed a bit of a name, you know, um, throughout the industry in my country so I had a pretty good clientele. The reason I'm saying I I had it because, I mean, I'm just starting over in the UK now and it's been going pretty well, but in turn that I, you know, had developed a bit of a name and, you know, it led to a clientele because I had worked in several studios in my country before I actually had my own. So by the time I did have my own, I um, had a kind of ready clientele who kind of moved with me and wanted to work with me. So I wanted to give you a little bit about the film side of it, right? So, I I mean, I love movies, you know, I love movies and everything. And I always felt I wanted to do film. So I started doing short films, you know, the scores for short films. And I would have a staff of um, people who would come and do like all the ADR and, you know, all the visual part of film music, you know, like um, syncing audio and video and everything like that. And one day I had a deadline and my um, editor could not make it for some reason. So I had a deadline for eight o'clock the next morning. And it's like, well, what I'm what I'm going to do, because, you know, it's very competitive. And if I don't deliver, I'll probably lose the job. And I definitely didn't want to lose the job. So I sat down and I thought to myself, I says, you know what? Everything happens at a given time in a film, right? So for example, if somebody jumps out of a window in a movie, that happens at a certain time in the film, right? So it may be 10 minutes, 15 seconds, five frames. So I thought to myself, you know, if I had, you know, proper story, storyboards from the director and I set up markers, you know, in my DAW, which is the digital audio workstation that I work in, Pro Tools. If I had this information, I can do this myself, right? Because I can move to anywhere on the timeline and edit if I needed to drop a sound effect in. I can move to 10 minutes, 15 seconds, five frames and do it. And I did it, right? And I got it dead on. And I presented the next day and everything was good. Everything was good with the job. And I've been scoring films and editing audio and video since. So, you know, it was pretty exciting. And, you know, my my whole thing is that my blindness should not stand in the way of anything. And if it's suggested that I can't do something, I'm going to do it. You know, I, that's the best motivation. I've gone on to win a few awards for film scoring and stuff since then. And, you know, so it's very exciting.
0: That's incredible, Jason. Thank you for sharing that story. Kevin, I'm wondering how you got your start.
1: I started playing when I was very, very young because my parents uh, were given a piano. In 1968, my hometown baseball team, the Detroit Tigers, won it all. And if you're a little kid and your team wins the World Series, you never forget it. My father came home from work each day because in those days you didn't have baseball games at night. And he would say, Kevin, go over to the piano and play the game, which was the whackedest idea I'd ever heard of in my life. But I, you know, I'm a little kid. I have a small vocabulary and small hands. So I only knew so many superlatives and so many descriptive adjectives in English or in music, but I would say, okay, it's the you know, bottom of whatever inning, and so-and-so is up to bat. And here's what happens. I decided you can turn anything into music if you want. So flash forward a bunch of years, I go to First University of Michigan and New England Conservatory. And when I was there, I discovered that, you know, there were tons of people around and they were all awesome sight readers. And I have enough vision to barely scratch out conventional musical notation, but it looks awful. It takes forever. I would have to write the parts without a score, like playing chess without a board. Just keeping that organized was hell. When people played it back, it sounded awful because the notation was so sloppy-looking that these great sight-player, sight-reading players would be, you know, reduced to a fraction of themselves, and that really stung. But I knew that what I wanted to be was a composer. I had been a jazz musician all my life because jazz is an improvisatory art, and you can create large things over small forms with small ensembles and all that. But eventually, when I saw my first personal computer in like 1981 and I saw it draw and fill in a circle. Well, what else can you draw and fill in? If you can draw and fill in a circle, you can draw and fill in a note head. If that's possible, we're on our way, guys. Well, I knew some people who work for IBM and I said, have you thought of making a music, a music notation program for your new personal computer? Oh, there's no money in it. Okay. So time passed and we all know what happened to that. So eventually... I used my first IBM computer with a focusable telescopic lens. There was no no speech yet and a monochrome display and I could write my own notation and it was a miracle and it's like a drug. The more you want, the more you need. And so more and more and more and more and eventually I became a beta tester for the first working version of Sibelius that David Pinto had developed You know, now I'm still a a beta tester for things and uh, my heart and soul is about being able to write music down and hear other people play it
0: back. I'm so impressed that Sibelius had you on board from the beginning because quite often, as we're all aware, accessibility is an afterthought and that makes it really much more difficult for these technologies to become usable.
1: It was an afterthought. that The first version of Sibelius was made accessible aftermarket by a guy who wrote a bunch of uh, auxiliary code for a solution that you would buy on top of it, and he wrote magnificent documentation. Then, eventually, uh, the program evolved, and he got out of the the code writing business. And then, when Avid Technologies acquired Sibelius, I used to go to the NAM show, that the National Association of Music Merchants, and I went to the Avid guys and say, "There used to be a solution, and we used to do this, and." one thing and another. And I got myself back into it. Then uh, another guy named Chi Kim came in and he said, you know, I'm a music technology guy at Berkeley. And here's a tremendous music education marketing opportunity for you. If you, you know, we get a grant proposal together and get somebody to really make this thing accessible from the ground up to the extent possible. And he, you know, now he's carrying the ball and doing a marvelous
0: job. Once you were involved with improving accessibility of Sibelius, did that software then help you get into new territories of your career?
1: Absolutely. In fact, it, it's been the, the heart and soul of it. You know, now a lot of my music Uh, that I've recorded is available as solo piano arrangements that you can download and play yourself. You go to a a website called musicnotes.com and look for Kevin Kern. You'll find, uh, I think there's like 60 or 80 or so. I forget how many of my original pieces that you can, uh, you can buy the sheet music too, and, you know, put them up on your piano and go.
0: That's fantastic.
1: As Kevin,
2: you know, rightly says, it always has been, an afterthought for accessibility. And one of the things that I've really been working with a lot of uh, music manufacturers, because I have uh, enough of a career, enough of a profile, and, and enough of, uh, uh, you know, people seeing me work, they find it of value uh, for me to have their, their products at, at a reduced cost or some sort of some sort of cooperative effort. And I've been saying to them, you know, all these years, like, we need to make this, this product so amazing. We need to make it accessible. We need to make it accessible. And a lot of the sort of... Um, pushback, for lack of a better word, is, well, you know, we really can't afford to make it accessible, and there's research and development, all that sort of thing.
0: You were a sponsored artist because of your artistry, right. and not necessarily brought on board as a consultant. And then you're telling them to make it more accessible. That's right. Amazing. And, and they weren't necessarily open to hearing your comments.
2: Well, not being open maybe too strong a word, but what they expressed was concern about money, which at the end of the day, you know, you're in the business... Of, of making a living. And, and I think the concern is, can we afford to make things accessible because it's such a small market share? My standard spiel, it's something like this. Let's just throw out the window that it's the right thing to do. Okay. So we're, we're just going to take that off the table. It's the right thing to do. Uh, but there is a market for it. Yes, it is a smaller market than than what you're what you're trying to achieve with your product perhaps, but it's good PR. I know that I personally feel better about giving my money to a company that does other good things besides make something I want to buy. Where the rubber meets the road is that when you, it takes about two years to bring a product to market and then you start working on the next iteration of the product. And so if you retrofit accessibility, by the time you make version number two accessible, version number three is just hit the market. and so. What I've been trying to explain is I'm a small business owner. I get it. You have limited funds. You have limited time. But if we plan the accessibility from the ground up and make it part of the architecture of the product, then it's not going to be as costly to do it. And in addition to that, forget about version two that's out now. Let's talk about version three that's coming out in the next two years. Let's make that accessible. That's kind of, the, I think, a newer approach. Um, And, you know... A lot of blind people, and rightly so, have been very frustrated at the lack of accessibility. Because in the end of the day, what we want is the same choice I've cited counterparts in. You know, there's about four DAWs or DAWs that are really, you know, accessible in a, in a way that's helpful to the blind. Whereas a sighted user has about the choice of maybe 20. And so we want to just have that same choice. You don't want to be forced into one product or another because that's the only choice you got. Interestingly, I believe in using everything to your advantage, whether it's good or bad, you use it to your advantage. So as it happens, when I first got into business, the computer was not an integral part of existence like it is now. You know, I started playing when I was about 15, uh, 16 years old, something like that. Uh, I hadn't played before that because even though I was a huge music fan, because I was just too sick, it was just it was hard enough for me to get through high school and just get get the job done. So, at any rate, I kind of was forced into analog recording. And what's cool about that is it turns out that the analog recording gives me the character that I want anyway. And what I mean is, so if you have a piece of hardware, you know the cool thing about that is the third knob from the left. Always does the same thing. It's, it doesn't have a soft function. In the digital domain, that knob can have a multitude of functions depending on what menu you're on. And I remember very well Jason said, "You know, I used to press that right arrow five times and then page up three times." Man, I did the same thing. And uh, and back then that worked. But you know, in today's market, and I'm not cute by the way. I'm the only non-keyboard player. And I'm, I'm a low side of adequate keyboard player. I'm actually a guitar player, but. The thing is, you know, when I was playing keyboard, which, I again, I'm not a virtuoso, so I just, you know, noodle around, but I'm good enough to get the job done. But if I want a real great piano part, I'll hire a great piano player. But uh, at any rate, you know, now the menus are circular. So if you I used to be able to say, OK, I'm not sure where I am on the menu, but I know if I press the arrow 10 times to the right, that will take me all the way to the end, no matter where I'm at. And then I can work my way back or whatever. And, you know, nowadays... They, they just cycle around and around and around, at least all the stuff I've used does. That's a big challenge. But the point is that, you know, the analog equipment gave me the character I wanted. And turns out that there's a niche market for that analog recording, but everybody wants the convenience of digital technology because I collaborate with people all over the world. And we can't do that without the digital technology. In addition, nobody wants to pay for analog tape costs anymore. It's, it's very expensive, it's hard to store, it's hard to maintain. And then finally, I love, and everybody else does too, non-destructive and with analog, you make a mistake, you gotta start over or it's ruined. You know, today I can hit control Z or Command Z or whatever, you know, whatever system you're using, and I undid that. Oops, I didn't need to do that. Oops, just undo it. So that's why we absolutely have to move into that domain. And I, I have to tell you, I'm not ashamed to say it, I went kicking and screaming into computer recording, but I had to because that's where the industry was going. I didn't want to do that. And it was a major barrier. And, you know, really only recently have we started having awesome access to DOS. But then you have all the third-party plugins, and that's where it really starts to get confusing and difficult. If you're like me, my time is real limited. I'm, I mean, I work 16 hours a day easy. You know, I don't have time to install a program, test it, see if it maybe works or maybe doesn't work. Then uninstall it because it doesn't, or buy it if it does. I mean, that's really tricky. There's a lot to be done in that regard, but I, I believe we'll get there. And as I was saying earlier, stay positive, stay focused, and to present solutions and not problems. So that if we come to someone and say, hey, you know, we need to make this successful," here's a few ideas of how we can do that. I think that's a much more powerful uh, way to present it instead of just say, here's a problem, fix it. A lot of the lack of accessibility simply comes from the fact that nobody's thought about it. I mean, a lot of these companies just don't think, Hey, I bet there's someone that can't see that wants to use them. the biggest thing is we just need to educate and tell people, Hey, here's the, here's what's going on. And I believe that most people, not all, but most people will want to be part of that solution. If, if you know, once they are really aware of it and also that it is a fixable solution.
1: If you make something possible for the blind, you may accidentally make it
2: effortless for the sighted. That is so true. And I, I have talked to one of my favorite companies that I work with is Hear Technologies. And they make headphone mixers. And they have big rubber knobs. And they have very tangible arrows on those rubber knobs that you know you can you can figure out, okay, that, that arrow's at 12 o'clock, that arrows at two o'clock, whatever. They did that for the sighted. They said, oh, we made it easy so that people could just reach down and not have to look away from their chart or whatever they were looking at, their sheet music or whatever. And I said, well, boy, it sure helps the blind, too. And and you're right. These these solutions that we come up with help the sighted users. That's why I'm such a big fan of hackers. You know, we can say to the manufacturers, look, this is going to help the blind, but, man, it's going to help everybody because, you know, everybody believes nowadays in that idea of multitasking. So if you can keep your ears doing one thing and you don't have to, look away from the screen or move your head away from the speaker, you know, through the sweet spot of the speaker, but you need to reach your hand out and feel something. You know, that's, that's good for everybody. You're totally right. That's exactly true. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: I play my sampler on stage and I know it so well that I don't even look at it. And it is designs like that, that help being able to do that. So, yeah,
2: every advance is going to help in some way. People ask all the time about why did we go to the moon? What's the point? It's like the phone that's in your pocket is possible because we went to the moon.
3: I I want to go a little bit more into it, and Joey, um, brilliant, you know, what what you said about, you know, um, your approach and how you um, talk to the manufacturers and stuff. Um, Sarah and I, Sarah my wife, we have a, um, a little kind of slogan we came up with inspiration, not obligation, because I've I've seen situations where, you know, I've been asked to sign petitions, you know, let's go to this manufacturer, you know, it's ridiculous that you, your product is not, not accessible. I've never signed one because I don't believe in that approach at all, right? My, my thing is, you know, I meet somebody, you know, maybe at a trade show and, hey, let's check this out. Wouldn't it be cool if we check out making your products accessible? Let's do it together. And that works 95 percent of the time you know let's do it let's let's get into this project it's really cool and now manufacturers actually come to me to say jay we want to do this right and i want to talk a little bit about um the people behind the scenes the engineers yeah. so i've been fortunate to work with engineers from several companies now native instruments focus right soft tube uh, arturia you know yeah. to name to name just a few right and Working with these engineers is an absolute joy, you know, besides making their products accessible, you know, we we become friends, we play music together. I am hosting an accessibility zone at ADC and I have some of the engineers who are also fantastic musicians coming to perform with me live right? They're they coming over to hang out with me at the um, my accessibility booth. What I want to do is celebrate accessibility and celebrate the people who do it. I have this engineer who loves to email me at seven o'clock in the morning. Gee, I thought about this. So I'll give you an interesting one. So one thing that, that has been a bit challenging for us, you know, in terms of accessibility is metering. You know, um, I'm sure Kevin and Joey will be familiar. So yes, we can perform um, all the actions and everything, um, recording quantizing and everything, but being able to read meters, you know, we rely on our ears a lot, which I think you should do, and we should never lose that skill. But, you know, we've always been, you know, um, challenged to know, okay, is my left and right meters bouncing evenly, you know, especially when you work in, in stereo tracks, et cetera, you know, but so I've been working with Softube. Now, their console one system is going to be accessible soon, and you know I've been given permission to kind of discuss it, you know, um, lightly. But um, they have done, you know, I'll say we because I'm privileged and honoured to be a part of that team, you know, working on it. And it's the ultimate, it's the next level up in mixing it. It's ten steps up from what we currently have available to us now. So Kevin and Joey and everyone else. Um, look for the Softube Console 1 accessibility coming out really soon. And we have been able to do a lot of cool stuff with the meters. So we can now do things like read um, input and output meters and real-time gain reduction meters. Um, well, of course, we've been able to read peak meters for a while. But now, but so that's also included. But then we can do things like monitor a drum kit or something we could have the meters being monitored in real time every, every few seconds. And so, you know, we can read all the different meters. So we um, pardon the pun, but we no longer blind to what's going on visually on screen. And it's just awesome. And this engineer that I'm working with at Softube, this guy, you know, we may be talking about something, you know, we may be on a zoom call and I get an email in 15 minutes, Jay, I figured it out. Um, let's do it. I'm sending you a new build Right. And these are the people, you know, and I've worked with fantastic people from Focus, right? and these people, you know, once you get into it with them, they just want to go, and they won't stop until this thing is perfect. You know, I'm just following on from what Joey and Kevin says, you know, once these people are inspired, they want to do it. I mean, Sarah and I, were actually showing some engineers from Arturia, you know, what we did now, we also write, you know, a lot of macros, Sarah and I, we write macros and scripts for programs that are not accessible, basically building our own accessibility into for our own use. You know, we've been able to share some of it and sell some of our macros. But we showed Arturia, you know, some stuff we've been th- that we were doing. And I got an email from one of the engineers. He said, Jay, you know, another engineer myself, you know, doing our Christmas break, you know, we wanted to look into accessibility and we did this and we wanted, you know, and we got the okay from our company. So let's do it. Let's make it happen. And within six months, we released um, accessible products, the Key Lab, the um, Key Lab and the Analog Lab software. And since then, they have just been going, you know, with Juice, um, the platform Juice becoming accessible. They just go in and these guys want to stop at nothing. So the glass is two thirds full. It's not half full, it's two thirds full. And almost weekly, I get calls from different manufacturers. They want to hire Sarah and me as consultants. And the reason they they hire Sarah and me is because they hire Sarah as a sighted bridge, right? Meaning that she's sighted and she can think like a sighted person, but she can also think like a blind person. So if something is not obvious to be because it's an icon on the screen, Sarah could say, hey, this needs to be accessible. All right, we need to label this like this, you know, um, kind of thing. So they hire both of us as a team. So, you know, to give them like the maximum feedback to be able to make their products accessible, because sometimes we may not know that something exists and it's possible because we're not seeing it on screen, but she can see it and say, okay, this needs to be addressed, you know? Another thing that's important too is, you know, when the manufacturers work with us, visually impaired people, they can get the verbal feedback, they can get the verbal feedback right. So for example, some people in their excitement about making something accessible, you know, first of all, they think that, Okay, it needs to speak slow, right? Because somehow some people think okay, something needs to be speaking quite slowly to be accessible, right? I've seen like microwaves and things uh, made, and the speech is horrible, right? It talks like <laughs> it, it talks like you have selected one minute, right? That's what yeah. we need. So working with people like us now, we can say okay. So for example, if something needs needs to say something like quantize button or something, right? They may think that they need to describe it in a lot more detail and that's fine. My thing is, okay, put it in a help tag, but all I need to hear is quantize checked, quantize unchecked, right? If I want, I can execute a keyboard command to bring up the help tag and learn more about it. But, you know, as we learn to do it, I'll give you one more example. I know I'm talking a lot, but I'll give you one more example. Again, going back to soft So they sent me the console one software. They reached out to me and they said they wanted to hire me as a consultant. And they sent me the software. It arrived on a Monday. And by the Thursday, they sent me a build of the software that was token, that was accessible, right? So a few days later, you know, I was invited to meet the team via Zoom. And I must say that the initial build was brilliant. So Sarah and I, we had a little joke among ourselves. Sarah said, but Jay, they don't need us right? They're doing this thing perfectly. <laughs> so I spoke to the engineer, and of course, I congratulated them on uh, what they've done. And that's supposed to be, an, that was the initial draft, right? That was the first beta, or whatever. The first alpha, because I was the only person checking it out at that time. And this thing was brilliant. And this thing was speaking the way that I wanted it to speak. So I asked the guy, the head engineer, I said, tell me something, obviously, you have experience with accessibility. And he said, no, right? So I said, well, how did you do this? And he said, you know, I you know, I was present at one of your presentations, and I saw you on stage, and I saw what seemed to be important to you, so I just use that as a guide. And this guy, if that's not a genius, I mean, this guy is probably one of the three most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. You know, and since then, we've been working together, and working with this guy is just an absolute joy. And, you know, this is what these engineers are bringing to the table on a daily basis, you know, once they get the go-ahead from their companies, some of them, even if they don't go, get the go-ahead, you know, they develop it anyway because they're passionate about it, and then they get the go-ahead from the companies. And this is what I've been experiencing.
2: Brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm so glad you highlighted the engineers, and, and you're right. I mean, they're problem solvers by nature.
3: Yeah, this discussion
0: has just been so inspiring. So thank you all. The final question was, what advice would you give to a visually impaired or blind creative hoping to develop a career in the music industry?
1: Uh, I guess real short. I just say it's so much better than it was when we were kids. And if you keep going, each successive generation will do more and get more and accomplish more. And it's just it's just a road that can only go forward if you you know if you have determination.
3: I want to say to visually impaired people, both newcomers and seasoned professionals, about your frustration in how you deal with things that aren't accessible right again i'm going to refer to these petitions some people could you know actually scare people away they can turn people off right be positive about it you know? and i know i get frustrated too sometimes i'm trying to find a button that just says okay and that's stopping me from moving to the next step with a piece of software and i get really frustrated but i have to manage that frustration you know i can i'm not going to take that to the manufacturers and say oh i couldn't find the okay button shame on you I'm going to say, hey, it was cool. I'll probably make a joke about not being able to find the OK button. And, you know, as like my friend, Arvid, in SoftTube, you know, when I tell him I can't find that OK button, he say, oh, really? And then he emailed me in five or oh, 15 minutes to say, Jay, I figured it out. Now you can access the OK button. So manage your frustration in dealing with manufacturers and retailers and, you know, educators. Be positive, even if sometimes you don't feel positive because it, something might be frustrating you. Don't take it out there, right? Um, I don't think anybody is gonna be inspired by a negativity at all, I'm certainly not. If you tell me I have to do something, I'm probably not gonna do it. If you say to me, Jay, let's do this. It might be cool if we can check this out together, I'm there. So just manage your frustration and it will all be done, all in good time, um, require some patience right? Because, you know, again, in dealing with the software manufacturers, I know what it is, something works today, and then it doesn't work tomorrow, because something we did may stop something from working. So we need to get it right. And we need to work together till we get everything right. You know, so patience is a virtue. And, you know, it's probably even more so for us, visually impaired people, but just hang in there, you know, continue to inspire people, let's inspire each other, let's inspire the Manufacturers, right? And let's hang in there. It will all get done, and it will be a win-win situation for everyone.
2: You always want to present positive, can-do attitude, and it can be challenging. But, but, but you know, but it's it's the only real way to move forward. And so, for me, and, and Jason, and Kevin, yeah, you know, we all are, are are you know glass two-thirds full, as Jason said. I'm going to start adopting that. I'm stealing that today. Uh, so but it's it is two thirds. Well we're all those we're naturally those kind of people, I think. But it, it really is the best way to, to progress. And and I, I love what Jason says about inspiring people to 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 want to make things accessible to be part of a team and be part of a journey. That's such a rewarding experience. But when it comes to you know being in the music business and, and being in the music business, being creative as someone that has a disability, it's a hard business anyway, even if you got your eyes and got you know all these other you know uh things that that you don't have to worry about it's it's a tough business so just realize that when you decide to make your life a life of intention what i mean by that is a life that you value a life that gives you meaning and purpose everything will fall into place from that moment so do what means something to you and you'll find joy there and even with the frustrations you will be able to stand up to this and continue to have a positive, successful life of intention. Part of what makes me happy is speaking to people like, like all of you. And I feel successful, I feel empowered by that. I, I feel like we've had such a productive, wonderful conversation and can can help others who are, are making an entree in business or, or have been in the business a long time but didn't know that there are these resources out there. So communication is key. But as Kevin said, as Jason said, you know, stick it out, you'll get there. And we we could have talked about all kinds of challenges uh, I had going to college. And I graduated high school when I was 14 and went to college when I was 16. And there was no real ADA at that point, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, There was no real support for me at that point. And the school said to me, I don't know if we can be of service to you. I don't know if we can help you. I don't know if we can meet your needs. And I said, my needs are in a classroom and a teacher. We'll figure the rest out. We did. So, you know, there will be challenges, but they are solvable.
0: This has been such a fantastic chat. Kevin, Jay, Joey, thank you so much for joining the Bridging the Gap podcast today. And thank you all out there who are listening to this. And yeah, I hope that everyone has taken something from this. I know I have.
3: So <laughs> until
0: next time, you've been listening to Bridging the Gap.